Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This week's episode is brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. Brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat Flip Flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. I'm ready like SpongeBob. I'm ready like SpongeBob. I mean, you're drinking a monster energy and you're going to have a small stroke on the episode, but that's not my fault. I can't help you from here. I function off of these. That's terrifying. In terrible. It's bad. It's bad for me. I know. It's it's worse than bad for you, but we'll get into that. I'll rouse you about that later. But I'm excited because Mason, I heard about you um, through. Dead Reckoning, obviously, because they're publishing your book. But I heard about you through Tyler and Keith after I finished their episode. And I said, hey, who do you've got that's really an incredible author who has a story, but also has some serious substance that just just doesn't want to be an author, has something about him or her. And they said, "Okay, (laughs) we have someone for you. His book is titled Rock Eater. And I said, yep, sign me up, (laughs) sign me up. And this is your book. That is, that is it. Dude, this thing is so good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so impressed. It, is it considered war poetry? How, what, what is it classified as? I don't, I would not personally consider it war poetry because you've read through it and mm-hmm. war is a blip on the radar, much like it was in my own uh, career in the Marine Corps. If anything, it's a book about, um, masculinity, identity, um, and, and more or less, it, it kind of, st- I started with a metaphor about being at war with yourself, which I think a lot of people who grow up and I'm not even gonna say like traumatic, I, I hate to like sit here and be like, I had a rough childhood. It wasn't great. It wasn't like, you know, fucking peachy or whatever, but people who grow up without like a silver spoon in their mouths, you know, kind of have to figure out what they're going to do. And then especially for like young men who end up in the Marine Corps, especially the Marine Corps infantry, every last one of them is searching for something that they couldn't find outside of that in in modern society where they want you to sit down, shut up, uh, be a good boy. Don't talk in class, go to college, get a job, you know, like uh, our society is on a, it's on an assembly line. Like, let's just be real about that. Oh, it is. It's it's a hard pressed. In a, you know, throughout all of history, every tribal group of young men had some type of rite of passage uh, for their young men. And I think um, after high school football, all that's left for guys from my generation was Afghanistan or Iraq. Guys who were really wired that way. Um, 
and that causes all kind and that can cause a lot of problems. So that's, that's what this book is about. Um, in a nutshell, yeah. it's a, it's its, it's own. I, I, I really, I've, I've been, I've been, been thinking about like, how do I describe the book? Like, how do I talk about what this is about? Cause it's about a lot. Yeah, it really is. So, you, yeah, you touch a lot, uh, a lot of different points on it. I read through it. I was fortunate when I was down um, in Texas last week with the Resiliency Brain Health Clinic, thanks to Defenders of Freedom. They sent me through an incredible program to help me fix my brain. And I didn't realize that one of the co-owners of Dead Reckoning lived down there. And so I was fortunate enough that he hand-delivered this book to me, sir. And I sat and I spent three hours in a rocking chair at George's just reading it and also found out there was a murder suey there the week before. So that was a little dicey, but I did it because it, it was a beautiful opportunity. The sun was shining and I thought no better way to get an incredible book than just sit and, you know, enjoy in such um, a great way. And what was really wild to me, something I do with books and that I, did you just fuck off? No, I went grab my copy. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry. Is interview over here, Mason? What is happening? I can follow, I can follow along. Um, follow along team. Um, so I was, I told you this when we were on the phone, I said, listen, you know, when I, when I read something along this lines, that's not a novel. What I do is I just open it to a page and it's, you know, whatever that page is, is meant for me at that moment. And the first, first page I opened was IED. And I, I kind of want you to tell me about that because it's a really hard hitting, heavy duty kind of first punch opportunity <laughs> into what your book is really about. Um, and it's like you said, I, I believe you were speaking of that. You're, you're speaking of yourself in that. Am I wrong? I am. So wait, um, and I, and I told you this too. I'm like, that is a theme throughout the book. So I actually, I'm a, I don't even know my own table of contents that well. There's okay. we the title of IED to how to spot an, spot IED. an IED. Yeah. Yeah. You're on 65. Do you want me to read it for? Yeah. Uh, hit, for, hit, uh, hit me with it. You can find it. So I also just grabbed it and opened it and I ended up on the title poem rock eater, which is my favorite fucking thing I've ever written. Do you want to read that instead? Oh, I'll, I'll read it at the end. I think we should end on that note. Ooh, I like it. It's uh, it's, I got to read this live through Veterans Repertory Theater. We'll probably touch on Chris and what he's doing with that organization later. But it was this very small setting in this Victorian era house in like Cornwall, New York. And it was like people who are into the arts, they go to Broadway plays. Right. And I got to read like he, he brought me and a few other poets up there to do a live reading back in November. And I was like, Chris, I need you to add Rock Eater to the set. And he's like, OK, I'm, I'm about it. Because <laughs> and when I read this later, people are going to be like, holy shit, I didn't know poetry could even sound like that. Because it, uh, it hits like a fucking thrash metal track. I love I, it, though. Yeah. I, I say some inappropriate shit in there. How to spot an IED. Scan left to right. Look for ant trails in unusual piles of trash. It's a war zone, so trash is everywhere. Instincts give goosebumps that raise hair. Alone in the turret, the responsibility is mine. Establish a baseline. Search for anomalies. Rewired and intended to produce casualties all day, every day until everything became a pressure plate and I became the IED. Tell me about it. 
So um, if you know anything about Marines, you know that they are not a branch of the military. They're a cult. They are. <laughs> and that is also part of what this book is about. This book is the parts of this book that are not about me are about what the Marine Corps is. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's kind of like this is what's not good about it, but this is what is good about it. And I love it for what it is. And I don't want it. I don't think it should be changed. I don't think it should be watered down. It is what it is. Um, but so, yeah, it's a, it's a cult and they completely, I went in at 26, right? I was going to be an officer. I'm finishing up college. I get uh, a DUI. So that knocks that out the park, right? I do two years of probation and I'm five, seven. I had to cut from like 240 pounds down to like 200. And that was still overweight for the Marines because they're going off of like 1930s body weight standards. I had tattoos, I had a DUI and I was just like, you know, when you're going through officer recruiting, a captain is in charge. I'm like, sir, like, am I going to get active duty? He's like, honestly, like the best we can probably do for you is reserves. I'm like, what if I just enlist? He's like, and he was a, a Mustang. He had been enlisted. He's like, I think you fucking love being enlisted. So he takes me down to the, the, the recruiting station and you know, the, the, the guy in charge of recruiting is all pumped. Cause he's like, Oh, this is like a steal for us. Cause he's like got a college degree and he's more mature, blah, 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 and all that shit. And then the recruiter, the sergeant's like, dude, you're 26 with a degree and you want to enlist in the infantry. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, you know, you're going to be getting like fucked with by like 19 year old kids. And in my head, I was like, if they're combat veterans, they have every right to do that. Um, and it turns out I hit my unit and had the first group of people in a, like in a senior leadership billet that didn't do a combat deployment in the whole GWAT. Oh no. Flag behind. And that doesn't matter. Cause to me, I'm like, they, they've been here. They know the job. I fucking don't like, it's not my place to sit here and be like, I'm older than you. So I know better. I didn't, I'm like, in terms of Marine Corps years, I'm a year old. Right. But this flag's covered in signatures from it. From 2002 to 2014, they did nothing but combat pumps. So that defines the culture in that unit. And as a Marine, you want so badly to go to combat. Within that culture, that is what validates you. That is, it, and it's not a healthy thing, but it kind of, it's what works. It's why when you send the Marines, the job gets fucking done. So I was in my unit for maybe two, three months, and then we just got plucked thrown on a task force, sent to Syria. And I was like, in your head, you're like, I'm fucking ready, man. I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to war, man. Fuck yeah. And I remember when they told us in that company office in my head, I was like, fuck, I am like, no, I don't feel trained and like ready. We hadn't done a workup, but it's like, you know what? That's what the guys have been going through for pretty much the entire GWAT. You show up to your unit and you're in Iraq a fucking week later. So it's like, this is the real in some units, it just depends on timing. It depends on when you get to your unit. But in the height of the global war on terror, Marine units were doing like six months on, six months off. They were rolling. Yeah, but I mean, listen, for a second, like, because I thought mine was fast. I mean, I got to my unit in September and we were deployed in April. I thought that was fast. I mean, mind you, I had to learn a whole new language, but that's a different conversation. That's about a full workup, a little, a little on the short side. The, we the only did workup for like... <laughs> What is workup for a Marine? What is what can you define workup? Because number one, I think our workups are very different. I just got posted there. Uh, our workup was like, we went to Texas for a week to shoot artillery. And then we went to Alberta in the snow for three weeks. That was workup. 
shitty. So what tell me what workup is. Workup is for a, a Marine. So for everybody who's not familiar with the structure of like an infantry unit, you'll have a battalion made of three companies, which are all just like basic riflemen, right? They're, they're a line company. They do everything on foot. They have their own machine gunners. And then there's a weapons company, which is all heavy weapons. What I was in, mostly vehicle mounted. But if the vehicle can't get there, you're using your Chevrolet legs. And our shit's like really heavy and it's not fun to carry. But Black Cadillacs. Yeah, I know, right? So um, a workup starts, you, you, you kind of, uh, everyone who had just done the deployment, they're going to either re-enlist or get out or move to a new unit, whatever. And then you start replacing that with, with fresh boots from SOI, right? And their life is really not going to be fun for that entire workup because they're, because they don't, they, they just, they don't rate anything. Um, you're just there to kind of like be molded into what you need to be to deploy so it starts like like if you've ever played a team sport, it starts at the individual level, individual skills, and then you'll work up to team, squad, platoon level. And this is carried out like on a range, right? So an individual range is, hey, can you shoot this gun? A team range is, can you and a, and a team effectively, you know, complete these objectives? And it just keeps building. And during a workup, it's a lot of field training on base. So I was at Lejeune in North Carolina, and I have a as you know, I have a poem in the book about how much I fucking hate that place. Um, and most people, it has like the lowest reenlistment rate in the Marine Corps. It's just where right. careers go to die. It's just, oh. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a trailer park, as I titled the poem. Um, that's ruthless. But some days, hey, some Marines end up loving it. It's just, it's just one of those things. I don't know. But um. You'll also do like some exercises in other places, right? So Bridgeport Mountain Warfare Training, that's about a month, maybe two out in California in the mountains. Um, most workups end with integrated training exercise. And I recently did a glossary to send to Tyler to just put all this in the back of the book so that people can like figure it out. Um, but I wrote it drunk. So it has a lot of like really sarcastic remarks in it too. It, it, I think it's the perfect glossary for the book. But um You'll finish at like at ITX out in California where your battalion and company level ranges are integrating air support. They're integrating artillery that you're you're working as. So everything in the Marine Corps is designed to support an infantry battalion. But this these ranges are set up so you can actually have them come support you and train like that. And then you deploy. And, you know, in these days, that just means you're going to Europe, which, well, Europe is a little dicey right now. But like a yeah. lot of the <laughs> Last like five years, a lot of Marines were rotating through parts of Europe and like training NATO countries there. There's the UDP where they go to Japan and, and train with the Philippines and South Korea and shit. It's a lot of it's a lot of deployments to train and just have a presence throughout the world. So that is a workup. That's a deployment. But anyway, uh, shit happened fast for me, and I was the uh, lead vehicle lead vehicle fifty cal gunner. And part of the responsibility is that of that is you're the eyes of the entire convoy. So you are all day in that turret standing up looking for threats, looking for IEDs. Um, so that coupled with 4,000 miles of patrol in total, coupled with not getting in a firefight, coupled with coordinating a few IEDs, it just, I didn't want to leave. When we left, I did not want to go home. We were in Kuwait and there was talk about like, well, we're already forward deployed. Like we might get a follow-up mission in Yemen or go support someone somewhere. And I was just like, send me fucking anywhere. I want, I want my combat. And I'm glad I didn't go to Yemen because it turns out that's a genocide. Um, fun fact. 
Um, oh, it's a massive genocide that we just seem to skate over like it's not happening. And it's so much worse than anything Russia is doing in the so much worse than anything. But nobody cares because they're brown, I guess. I don't know. And and I'm going to I'm gonna interrupt you um, because there's a lot of things you're jumping on that I really think it's important to talk about because I feel like you, you might have a little more knowledge. Can you kind of describe a little bit what's going on in Yemen? Because I'll, I'll, I'll preface it with this. There is an incredible um, investigative journalist who he, of course, his name's going to escape me, but he's talked about this on a repeat basis. And then there's also, uh, what's his name? He was just on, is it Dave Smith? Dave I, Smith. He, anyway, he, he talks, he, he talks about this constantly about how we are not, he was on Rogan last time talking about Yemen and saying like, there's just a massive genocide. Like, can you imagine if Rwanda was popping off and we, the media just didn't cover it again? That's what's happening in Yemen. We have no moral high ground to stand on as a country or as a government on anything related to any kind of military exercise or action anywhere in the world. Every single president we've had going back, I don't think this was happening under Bush, but I'm sure Bush would have supported it too. But every single president going back for a long time has funded Saudi Arabia in their genocide in Yemen. Um, and I don't want to. Aren't you guys off. buying oil from them right now? Because we won't drill our own. <laughs> Louisiana is an oil rich state. So every time someone like Joe Biden gets in office, our economy takes a hit. Yeah, like, it's OK. Dad, we are, too. The one chance, the one time my dad tried to get in and start a business with some friends in his life was under Obama. And he lost so much money and opportunity because of. Who yeah. was in office. I don't want to turn this podcast into that, but we would actually probably have a really, really good like conspiracy theory podcast. If we no, but I just I want you to skate over what's going on in Yemen so people can understand what I'm, we are discussing and then we can move that's, on. That's what's going on. So, OK, cool. Guiding them and we fund it. We're cool. not awesome. Directly, we're not directly supporting it. But we don't have to. We That's are the right. largest arms dealer in the fucking world. It's good. It's good. Speaking of arms, did you? So in Syria, you there was. I don't want to assume, but what what year were you in Syria? Twenty seventeen. Okay. Explain what was going on in Syria at that time, because I do believe most of the people listening probably because it wasn't in the media don't know what went on in Syria. Mm-hmm. It's fucking wild. So it's Operation Inherent Resolve, which was the, the operation to fight ISIS in Iraq and Syria. When I first checked into the VA, they did not know what OIR was. They like, were you in any campaigns? I was like, OIR, right? And it's not like a um, OIR vet, but it's like, I was fucking in one. Like, <laughs> I, I'm answering the question. You don't even know what the campaigns are. Whatever. Makes sense. I didn't do it for, you know, people back home to fucking know what it was, but um, ISIS uh, took over the vacuum created in Iraq um, by us because we overthrew a country with no real long-term plan, uh, except for maybe just to continue to have war perpetually. And then also a lot of destabilizing things were happening in Syria. I haven't investigated that a shit ton, but it wouldn't shock me if Obama, the Obama administration, administration destabilized Syria like they did Libya. Um, and then ISIS came to power and they were like, well, we see a, a gap. The power structure in these countries collapsed. We're going to set up a caliphate. Um, they carried out some terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. And it was like, all right, let's fuck these dudes up. It's like, all right. Um, so I came into it at the point where they had 
they had essentially, I like doing this with my hands. The, the I'm, I'm here for the hands. If you're just listening, you're seriously missing out here right now. Cause this is like the most American <laughs> Marine I've ever met in my life. And I'm so fucking here for it. it like I'm, I'm making like the heavy metal, like devil horns, but I, they pushed ISIS from Southern Iraq up this way. And then from, would it be Western Syria this way? And they eventually kind of corralled them all into the city of Raqqa and um, it was mostly done. This war was mostly fought by special forces supporting uh, rebel groups that were fighting ISIS. It was it was very much like how can we fight a war through like as many sh- as many degrees away from it as possible. Right. So we were su- we were supporting one group, but but not supporting them against Assad, and also not supporting them against Russia because they were fighting those people in places too. We were only supporting them while they were fighting ISIS, while Russia was doing the same thing, supporting them, but not, it was all set up so that like Russia and the U S could support their sides without us ever bumping into each other. It was weird. I'll say it that much. It was but, um, weird. <laughs> it, was, it was weird because there were just, we were going to push East and they were like, there's no way to get East without going through a, a Russian AO. And I'm like, well, this place definitely isn't worth world war three. So I guess we're going home. Um, Cause I didn't come here to fight Russians. I came here to fight ISIS. So. I mean, although I will say, have you seen the Russian recruiting video compared to yours? Oh, have you seen the army's recruiting video? And she did it with two bombs as if like that we're, we're, we're going woke. I, so I, don't, woke. I, don't, I don't care if I lose literally my entire Instagram following overnight, which I won't because most of my followers are misogynists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're going to love this then. They are who they are. They're like me. Um, but no, it's like all that shit like doesn't it's not. That's not how you we need to go back to the recruiting videos where some dude like slays a dragon and then he gets swept up in a column of fire. And then he's like in the Marine dress blues and it's like the few the proud. Right. Uh huh. So many go look up 80s Marine Corps recruiting commercials. Oh, they're dope. They're like There's they're gnarly. Like a mini night night, and they night him and he gets up in the dress blues. It's like, what is this? Who does oh. this work on? Who does this work on? And the answer is guys like me, because I'm fucking stupid. You're not stupid. Don't talk to yourself that way. But it's true. It works. And that's why I brought up. I'm like, did you see the Russian recruiting video that came out the day after? I think it was the American one. And Lex asked me about it like on air. And I was like, he's like, who would you side with? I'm like, do I need to respond to this publicly? Because are you kidding me? They had a guy's face in the mud with his boot on his head. I want that. We're going to get very real about the difference between Russian military and U.S. military is that they like we are expendable. But Russia really looks at their troops as expendable. Oh, yeah. Everything down to like how the AK-47 versus M4 is, and M16 is designed is based off of how expendable your troop is. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? 100%. So, Why don't you yeah. explain it, though? Oh, God. Okay. So I don't know it that well, but... Um, well, just, let's, look, look, let's look at an M16. And let's look at a Soviet era wooden disaster that somehow still fires at you while it's been sitting in the dirt in Afghanistan for two decades. I mean, a lot of M4s will shoot really, really fucking dirty. They're just less accurate. They're less accurate mm-hmm. at range. The idea was that if we have 10,000 fucking people online and they're all shooting, none of them have to aim really well. Like the iron sights that come stock on an AK-47 are fucking trash. Um, 
there's just I don't I don't really necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole, but okay. that's the difference between like yes, is Russia is Russia culturally tougher than the U.S. Of course it is. Our culture is like crumbling. There's like the only place left with a shred of any type of like masculinity is the Marine Corps infantry. Like, and, and, well, maybe yeah. because you guys are integrating very differently now. How things are working with your recruitment is is very interesting to watch from afar. I don't know. But anywho, that's what was going on in uh, Syria. Um, so special forces was doing a lot of like the, they would integrate and then they would call for Marine Corps artillery to support um, because Syrian rebels don't have artillery, but we do. They actually burnt out a howitzer on the gun line outside of Raqqa. They were doing fire missions every half hour, 24 hours. So when we would, when we would, so Essentially, my role was convoy security for all logistical movements, um, which is all the resupplies. Anytime some higher up has to go from one base to another. So we weren't there per se to like do combat patrols. We were there to provide security, but we were always outside the wire and it was just nonstop. I patrols were like 16 to 18 hours usually. Um you know, it was just long routes and it was a lot of like logistical vehicles that would break down and this and that. And it was, uh, it was like that. So some nights if, if, if they unloaded the trucks like fairly late, we would just stay at the artillery position and just literally just, you know, just getting the fucking back of the, the Matt V and like cuddle up in a fucking, you know, and a whoopee and, um, the arty's just going off all motherfucking night just did not stop it was wild um i used to like it though because whenever we would get there it's like i can take a break i would close the turret hatch clean the 50 eat a chili mac and just watch them bomb the fuck out of that shit and like one of our ro's came up he had like one of those little kill switches where you could like it had like a drone that could show it he's like he's like you want to see where these impacts are gonna land i'm like yeah and so like we hear boom, 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 goes out time goes by boom Dude levels this shit. And I'm like, that was fucking sick. So, I mean, that's, that was the deployment and it was by no means like hard and fast. And it wasn't me kicking doors and I wasn't getting in gunfights. It was none of that shit. Right. So there's one side of it where as a Marine, I'm like, well, fuck, I didn't do anything. And then there's one side of it where it's like, I'm proud of what I did. Cause it was, I was out there. I like, I did what I signed up to fucking do. It just didn't happen to me. Um, but the amount of time and just, just, trying to do that and then come home. Uh, and a part of it too, is I was like, I didn't see combat. So like, I'm fine. And then symptoms of PTS are, you know, uh, manifesting a lot, um, especially while I was at home. Um, and I kind of just was like, well, I'm fine. I didn't see any combat. I'm okay. And then within six months, like I kind of imploded. So. What? Hey, let me let's take that back for a second, because this is important. So on this deployment, you were watching art. OK, I have this is a interesting to me that you the way you talk about this, because you talk about being around these guns all the time. You talk about watching the rounds land on on human beings and destroy cities and wipe out whatever is even remotely close depending on the type of round that they're firing and nothing left of rocket today exactly so when you say that 
you don't understand. You couldn't understand. You know, I didn't see combat. I hate to break it to you, homie. You knew what's going on. You knew every time that lanyard pulled, you knew every single time where those, if you didn't see it, you knew those rounds just don't disappear. They don't just into air. They're landing on something. And that's, I'm, I'm not belittling anything that artillery does. No, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm trying to say is the complete opposite. I'm saying you knew that that has an effect on someone, whether you like it or not, just because you're not shooting someone in the face point blank does not mean that that doesn't have an effect. That's exactly what I'm trying to say is you're not belittling. You're doing the opposite. You're saying that watching being a part of, even though you weren't running and gunning and kicking doors in those things have a massive, massive effect on people. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but it was also fucking badass. I mean, it's not, not I'm, I, the gu- I know I was a gunner. This is the, this is the, the whole, like, it's, it's a, it's a, is it a conundrum? Is that what you call it? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it is a conundrum because you, you are proud of it. Yeah. You can be proud of something and it still have you affect you negatively because you were sent to go do one thing and you were, you were under the understanding you were going to do that. And whether or not you got the combat you wanted to get, you got combat homie. So there's a, there, the rumor has it that um, the special forces in Raqqa were requesting to, because we integrated under the command of the artillery battalion, who to him, he's like, we're here to shoot artillery. We're not here for like the combined Mm -hmm. anti-armor team to go shoot guns anywhere. Like if they never get in a firefight for him, that's a good thing. But the rumor was that they were requesting to our CO to have my unit go do a support by fire because we had, 50 cows, Mark 19s, jab. We had everything. We were a, we were an armory on fucking wheels. And they were like, we were like, can you guys like give us a support by fire? And it's also like, that's what, that's all we're trained to do. Machine gunners, half of what they do is support by fire. The other half is defensive positions. That's the job. It's very basic level infantry shit. Right. Um, and as badass as like special forces are like the nitty gritty, like basic, like basic grunt level tasks, like the Marine Corps masters, they master that shit. And um, the rumor is that uh, the RDCO was like, no, they are here to be my security for my convoys. And that's it. They're not going to do that. So I don't know if that's true or not. That, that might have just been fucking hot gossip around the fucking tents. But it's one of those things where you hear that and it's like. Dad, I want to go do this before my fire by Raqqa. I want to go fucking shoot. Like, hey, I, I, you all day i want to shoot it at something you okay you and i get i'm on the same wavelength as you i was on the fob and we were firing all the time but all of us well the majority of us depending on who you were i won't speak for all of us i wanted to go i wanted to run and gun i wanted to go i got the chance to go I learned really quickly how much I loved it and also how damaging it was to me. But that doesn't mean like I 150% know exactly how you feel. I couldn't agree. Like I'm homie, I'm right there with you. I know exactly what you're saying, but that's what I'm trying to also explain is that even if you weren't running and gunning, being near things like artillery, watching those things, doing the things you're doing, those are going to have an effect on someone and it's not going to be super positive. So you're not belittling anything. I think of anything you're saying, like you can be 
not downrange, you can literally be the one doing the support fire and it can mess you up and it can have a massive effect in an issue. When you got back to the United States, how did the PTS start to manifest itself? Drinking a lot, um, trouble sleeping, um, there, and then just feeling like very out of place, feeling extremely on edge. So, um, we got back like December 20th and they generally make you wait a little while before they let you do your post-deployment leave. So it's like Christmas is coming up new year's. Right. So I was not going to be able to go home until like January 4th. So my girlfriend actually flew up and spent Christmas with me in the barracks. And I'm going to, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Um, because I made the barracks as nice as I possibly could. I went by a futon. So we had like a real bed. I put up like the Christmas lights around and I bought a little Charlie Brown tree. I got her presents. Like I like did the best I could. Right. And I'm not saying like that she wasn't appreciative, but it's like the barracks is like not where you want to like spend Christmas, but she wanted to spend it with me. And I appreciate that. And um, she stayed in hotels until we went on. We had our break for New Year's. So that was in 96. We went up to, we might've gone on real leave. Cause I'll, yeah, I don't, cause right after that I went back home. So yeah. So we drove up to DC and I took her to, you know, all the DC stuff. We went to Arlington. It snowed one day. It was beautiful. There's a poem about that day I posted recently on the Instagram page. But, um, and then we went to New Year's Eve in New York City. Cause like I, so I wanted to fucking propose. I was like, I deployed, I have been through some shit. I kind of have a grasp on like how, how fragile life is. And I'm like, this is what's important to me. I'm ready for this to happen. Um, so we were sitting, we were talking about it. She's like, I'm gonna come up. I'm like, let's do something like big for New Year's, right? Because like when we cordoned the IEDs, like it went through my mind, I was like, this could happen. Like this, this could be it. So, um, we went to New Year's Eve in New York city. We did all that stuff. And then there were just, I was drinking really, really heavily. And then I was just really edgy, especially in cities. Um, I just, it was interesting. She had like friends from college who were like up in DC and they were like very liberal. And I could just tell how much like I did not belong around them. Like, it's not that I can't like talk to people who have different political ideas than me, but I'm like, I'm fresh out of the fucking turret. Yeah. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I can see how this went. Yeah. So it is what it is. And then, um, but that's no fault of your own, right? um, saying it is and then there was one one that sticks out in particular i came back down to new orleans to like see my family and all that and we went out one night and i drank like a lot a lot and uh we were outside of this bar on bourbon street and there was this like homeless vet and like these dudes like hassling him like fucking this dog and i was like get the fuck out of here like you know like and it kind of like dispersed and i was talking to him and he was like oh i'm a i'm a fallujah veteran and I was like, who are you with? And I got to talking to him and it, 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 Marines know, Marines know their own history better than anybody. Like that's part of the Marine. It's part of what makes Marines Marines. Everything you said was checking out. And I was like, fuck. So he had gotten kicked out for drug use after Fallujah because he was not handling that shit well. And then he never really got his benefits because he didn't have an honorable discharge and so on and so forth. And I was in the street and it's like, it just broke my fucking heart. So I gave him like a hundred dollars and my ex was like, why are you giving him that much money? And I was like, do you even know what Fallujah is? And she's like, 
know. And it, I just, I had a, a breakdown at the apartment that night. It was just, it was not, a, it was not pretty. Um, so the relationship made it about another six months. Um, she wanted me to get out. I wanted not just to stay in, but to stay deployed, um, as much as I could. Um, I ended it. Uh, I got a DUI shortly after, um, I lost my rank. So at that point, my entire life, it just imploded on itself at 28 years old. And that's how, how we got to here. And then you became a writer. Hmm. You know, it, I can see it when you talk about it. If you're again, please watch this episode instead of just listen, I can see it because it's really important. Um, we talk a lot about soldiers who come back. We talk about PTS. We talk about those things that people see or, or, or do or go through, but we don't, we don't really discuss the repercussions long-term of, of what that does to not only the person, but the family unit to those around them, how they're perceived in society afterwards. And a a great example is that homeless vet. He, he had one mistake because not even a mistake. He was a co he was using a coping mechanism because he was never given one to deal with Fallujah. Fallujah. The first bout was horrific. I had a friend who served, he was an American, he's no longer with us, but he did Fallujah, the first round. And I was lucky enough to meet him on a deployment. And so we went through what that was like for him. And it it was tantamount to talking to a Vietnam vet when they just space out. And he said it was one of the hardest things he had ever done. And when you leave veterans or individuals who have been through something like that to their own devices to heal themselves and deal with themselves or be just highly medicated by the VA. It's a no wonder that we have not only the suicide epidemic we do, but we have the homelessness, we have the struggle. And then we, we think for some reason it's acceptable to, to look down on those people who haven't got it together, but there's no understanding in society, or at least when you come back in the Western culture of what, those wars are like and deployments because our media doesn't cover them the way that they should be so that society can have some type of empathy for those that come home. Yeah. 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 Um, The thing is that you, you lose your benefits. This is what's not everybody that's, you know, understands the military understands this, but in the, the VA, as much of a pain in the ass as they are to deal with those benefits allow you to have a second chance. And it's been a pain in the ass getting my own disability claims put in. And there are people who are like, I'm not gonna claim disability. Let me let me just say this on air real quick. Um, you getting the highest rating that you can get does not take a rating away from someone else. That shit is in the budget. They printed $4 trillion last year. They have the money for you. So claim mm-hmm. what you have. You're not you're not taking money out of someone else who had it because I hear guys say like, well, somebody lost legs, you know, they deserve it. It's like, they're going to get theirs. Trust me. If you lost limbs in the military, you're getting out with your shit set up already. You're getting medically retired, right? It's a different process when you got to get out and then like go meet a VSO and figure it out. And he misspells plantar fasciitis and he doesn't know what half your fucking injuries are. And you're like trying to explain it to him. And it's, that's a whole different thing. But this guy got, kicked out after 
fucking Fallujah. So he was in Fallujah too. I mean, and both were fucking, it's the most intense fighting of the Iraq war, but gets kicked out shortly after that, according to his story. And, you know, but it was because he was trying to cope. He was just trying to cope. He gets kicked out and he has no disability, no VA home loan, no education benefits. None of the things that they say, Hey, you're going to get this. And then this, this is all to help you figure out whatever the next step is. It's here. It's the least, like the fucking least they could do. Right. Um, right. and, um, it's like, that's, that's huge. Um, I mean, I, I have a, a poem in the book about one of my best friends who pops for cocaine and he's doing fine. He's actually doing pretty well. Um, last time I saw him, he, we were out in Athens, Georgia after a Georgia football game and he got enough, an altercation with one of those street preachers who tells everyone they're going to go to hell. Oh, so, I love those. Yeah. Well, he like, they get, so apparently this guy like hassles people until they he provokes them until they like retaliate and then he'll like sue him. But yeah, I, I had gone home early and he came in at like four in the morning and he had like, like cuff marks on his wrist. He's like, they fucking arrested me. Like, what'd you do? He's like, got a fight with a street preacher. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. So yeah, those guys are ruthless, man. I went to, um, my favorite is when I see them at the Supercross um, because that makes no damn sense. in my eyes, when my husband used to race um, the <laughs> dude, they do it anywhere. And I think it's an antagonist thing. I don't think it's I don't even think it's they're doing it for the right reasons. I mean, I don't even think that's a right reason to do anything. But I think there's an antagonist mentality in that and that they just want people to they want to be heard and they want people to respond in a negative manner because then they can say, oh, well, you've got the, the devil in you and we can fix you now. Like it's it makes no damn sense to me, especially when you see them outside of like a sporting event or a comedian's show. Like it's just it's I, those people just I just laugh every time I walk by. And I always just feel like in a real like every time I want to do in a real southern accent, like. Jesus loves you. You'll be all right. Like, I always just want to like throw it back at them and be like, come on, like get your life together. Yeah. I mean, Joe's got a little bit of the devil in him, but he's, he's doing better, but it's like, it's one of those things where I want him to appeal and try to get his benefits. Cause it's like, he was one of the best Marines, like at his job, he was like a fucking heart. Like if, if I had to pick 10 guys to fucking deploy to a war zone tomorrow with like, he's the RO, there's no question about it. Right. Yeah. Um, so which is like, which is funny to me because you said he popped for cocaine. Do you know what used to happen at my unit before a drug test? It's that? my favorite. It's my favorite. We had a bunch of guys. I won't call out names because if I do, it'll ruin their lives. Um, we had a bunch of guys who were known for going out and going to like the strip clubs and like partying and doing coke on a regular basis, like on a weekend, like on a weekday basis, just like every night. And then I remember they would be like, this was close to deployment. This was not far off. And I remember them being like, you, you, you get the fuck out. We're about to lock the doors. Like, because once those doors are locked, you're testing and you can't lose four dudes on a seven gun. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to be non that regiment's going to be non-deployable. You were like, go. Yeah. yeah. Happened all the time. Look at me. Look at me dead in the eyes right now, Mason all the time and any of you who say you didn't are full of shit and you were officers homie so i know but then my point is is that if they want you they'll make concessions for you 
mainly I think because we already have such a tiny military, there was no way we could get away with losing people the way that we would be. It's just, it's, it's a double standard. And it's really frustrating because like you said, some of these people have some of the best abilities as a soldier and they pop for one thing or they make one mistake or they not even say a mistake. They did something that the government deemed, you know, unacceptable, but it's still acceptable for you to send them down range to like hurt innocent people. But God forbid you pop for a drug. The, uh, the poem in the book Cutthroat Core was a lot longer originally. We shortened it down, but I touched on the hypocrisy of hazing charges in the tattoo policy of the Marine Corps um, because I know I had staff and CEOs. They were grandfathered and they had full sleeves. I know those dudes hazed their fucking boots. Um, I know it was worse back in the day than anything we were doing. And we got kids mm -hmm. having careers ruined for just maintaining good order and discipline at this fucking point. Um, <laughs> I your, uh, your episode with Pop Smoke, Daniel Sharp, he was talking about um, how the Marine Corps is like, an, it's like an abusive relationship and every chance it gets, it fucks you. It just will. My NJP technically was not even, not even legal. Um, and I'll get into that at some point, but they just, the, the, it's a, it's a, it's a branch based on recruiting, not on retention. They, they already know, they know this you're more likely to get out. They'll try to retain you. They're going to try to retain talent, but you get out. I got five fucking kids coming right behind you and they're not broken. They don't have any injuries. They're not disgruntled yet. They're coming in highly motivated because that's just how boot camp works. You come out all fucking gung ho, but the, the institution, the Marine Corps cannibalizes good Marines. It absolutely does. And it's like he talked about the people who stay in, and I'm not saying this about all of them, but a lot of people stay in because they have to stay in. They get a wife, they get kids. And this is what they, this is what they know how to do. And they right. on the table that are just a little too good to pass up, but eventually they get you. When you hit fucking staff, your loyalty is to the institution. It's very rarely to the guys below you. One of the best staff and CEOs I had is probably going to end up only getting out as a gunny because he put his guys and he, he, you know, he was very abrasive with, with higher ups and he put his guys first. And it's like, you respect that shit. It fucking, you know, but, but no, I can understand that. I had a, I had one sergeant and one officer that I talk about pretty publicly. I mean, he's a, he's an officer now and I refuse to call him by his rank because he went to the dark side, but, um, Sergeant Bauman, he, there's, there's certain people that will go to bat for you. And those are the people that you would run into open fire for this guy is someone that you would, but they're few and far between the leadership needs to change. And I I've spoken about that leadership is everything. And when you're asking people to put their lives on the line, you damn well better be able to put up as a leader. And if you can't, there's, there's no wonder people just say, you know what? I don't want to do this more. I want to get out. But I saw on deployment, your guys, like they grab you and they hold you if they can. I mean, there was dudes, we'd be firing live artillery and they'd be reenlisting on the other on the other side and i'm going it, it blows my mind that you guys can just re-enlist while on an active duty deployment and there's no question into the mindset the decision making why you're doing it they just say here's an extra bonus and you guys get medals like on when you're there i don't they do, they do those re-enlistments 
on deployment because it's tax free. They can't tax your bonus over there. That is oh. part of guys do it. I had I had two guys re up on some pretty fat bonuses. Two of my NCOs while we were on the fob. Uh, it was like a day between when we were going out for for convoys and shit. And um, but yeah, but and and, and these were but these were also guys who were committed to the core. I mean, they, and, and they were good in COs and, and, you know, it's, um, I wanted to pre-enlist. I mean, yeah. there is a, it, it becomes part of your identity. And I was, I'm going to close these blinds real quick. It's, uh, you do so your thing. Right. And a little hot in here. And I think the, uh, I think the, uh, the day laborers are there to continue like doing construction next door. So that's fucking great. That's okay. You're fine. Do your thing. I love that you have the Marine flag and then you have a plate carrier with like C7 mags just ready to rock. Like I'm here for it. Oh, Look at you. I am. Uh, I'm never like more than two or three steps away from a gun in my own house. Oh, did you see the thing I posted the other day? How like hunting rifles and like long rifles are banned in Canada? Yeah. Cause you guys like, I don't know. I, y'all should, this is all I have. This is all I'm allowed. And even then, this is this is I think too long for legal. Dude, it's we're on our way. We're on our way. Oh man, those uh the honking, the honking. Hey, that shit fucked up our country in the best way possible. He enacted that guy, that leader. I'm doing the bunny ears. The leader, the special ed leader. He enacted the wartime measure on truckers and bouncy castles and kids biden and trudeau are puppets if i've ever fucking seen it oh if I've ever seen a puppet yeah you in my think life. yeah it's these two governments right here it's oh. and i love that we're attached it's like we're like we're just like right now we're like the weak link in the world we're just like the soft tiny like come take us we're ready for it like we're super, you know how I know this is what's crazy. So I got I'm home. Um, yeah. You're ready for, Oh, ready. Whatever. <clears throat> don't get it twisted. I got the people to call in the States to come take the fam jam. We're good. Uh, so I work at a gun shop right now. New Orleans is having like one of the worst crime waves in history. And it's always been a city with pretty high crime, but mm-hmm. we have like super liberal DAs and mayors who are like, not like just no bail fucking go out. Sure. Whatever. And like, so People come into the store every day like, I've never, never thought I'd want a gun, but I really need a gun now. And I'm like, here, try this. <laughs> try this. Have this one. Would you like this? I can give you all of this. Yeah, so, it's uh, it's interesting because you guys, um, <clears throat> I know of somebody who told me some pretty horrific trafficking stuff about New Orleans. And it was really terrifying. And then I found out who was involved. And I was like, I don't think I'll ever visit there. We... If you come down, I got you. But um, okay, I'm not worried when <laughs> someone like you. No, we're good. I am. I'm a pocket human, Mason. I'm only five seven. You weigh as much as a truck, homie. I whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm trying to trying to slim down here, but um, in a good way. I mean, you're no one's going to be like him. We're kidnapping him. We're trafficking him. It's funny. Well, I also have like a little fanny pack that I have a little gun and a fake vaccine card in. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Joking, just jokes. Um, I was going to say to you though, 
I came back to Canada and Saturday, 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 get it together. I came back on Saturday and I uh, came into the country and we had just taken away the mask mandate for the first time. Right. So here's what's the best. I went to the grocery store yesterday. This is how, you know, they know they've done their job correctly. I said to the. Oh yeah. I said to the teller who I always see whom I love deeply and think she's incredible. And I said, I said, are they still making you guys wearing these things? And I hadn't been wearing one for quite a while now. I just walk around with a big old smile on my face and I'm like, please tell me to put one on my face. You're going to get the wrath of two years of anger. Come on, give it to me. So anyway, she goes, no, it's optional. And I said, that's even worse because that's how, you know, they did exactly what they planned to do. Everyone here is still wearing them. It worked. It worked. They made people compliant against their own common sense. Yeah, that's scary. Um, I mean, it was one of those things where people were like, well, what's your problem with masks? I'm like, because there's, from day one, I was like, if this is truly the plague, you think a cloth mask is going to do anything? Yet this is the plague. That alone, it's, they, it's, this only yeah. works if people are completely mindlessly obedient to everything they're told. It was a good test. Luckily, I have become very anti-authoritarian, uh, somehow more because of the Marine Corps, probably because I got fucked, you know, like just. Mm-hmm. But that's what happens, though. That's exactly yeah, what happens. You know, all the veterans have become the most anti-authority and anti-war people possible. Um, you know, something's wrong when the people who have been to war become anti-war that does you normally you come back and they're like, guys, let me tell you something about your own <laughs> government that you might not want to hear. Yeah. It's really troubling. It's interesting, but I want to, I'll get off of that because I know you, we don't want to go down that road, but tell me, tell me, um, tell me a little bit more about this writing because you don't just go from being a Marine to leaving the Marines to then just deciding one day to write. How did how did you go from that to going, I want to be a writer? Well, what I'm going to tell you is that you need to just have me on for a conspiracy theory podcast. We're going to do it. I got you. We're going to do it. I think Alex Jones is, might be my dad. Uh, okay. I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. There's a Canadian version of Alex Jones. His name is Jeremy McKenzie, and he is a friend of mine. He's been on Alex Jones a couple times. This guy had a no not in Canada. Kate. I'm in Canada. He had a no-knock warrant sent on him in Nova Scotia, Canada. This guy is the most honest, like truthful. This guy doesn't lie. He's currently in like hiding because of the protests. I am not exaggerating. He was trying to prove a point that the government was after him unlawfully. So he made up a fake country with a fake patch with a fake flag and there are leaked footage of the government advising the prime minister to enact war on this country that doesn't exist oh my god these are the people in charge they don't even know what countries there are did you hear about there's a there's a u.s politician that was talking about how we have military bases on guam and he was concerned that it was going to tip the island of guam over this is a real human being who's in charge of things you have somebody in government who told Kelsey Gabbard that she is a fucking traitor because she brought up the 27 bio labs that you guys fund in Ukraine and how it's an issue if one of these blows. You guys, this was done without the consent of a single fucking American. <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> this is the best. Oh, we're gonna, okay. We're going to jump did, 
How did you become a writer? Tell me about it. Explain I, to me. Uh, my grandmother actually taught English. Um, so there, there's some poems in the book about her as well. She was a Sicilian immigrant. She married a, uh, a Cajun uh, whose family had only ever made a living off of like farming and hunting for generations. He was the first one to get a college education. She was like, she had a master's uh, from LSU, but she taught English in Thibodeau, Louisiana. So like, God bless her heart. That probably took oh my God. It was always like correcting us, like at like family gatherings. Cause like Cajun people talk with a very, like with their own dialect and their own type of slang. And it's like, French. Yeah, I, know, I know how to read and write very correctly, but I talk to people at their own level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In South Louisiana, if you sound like you went to fucking Harvard, you're not going to be able to have a conversation with anybody. And not because of the Boston accent. It's just like people only understand like so many syllables in a word. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, so like seriously, like Louisiana is like usually either 50th or 49th in education. Um, and I could get into all kind of historical reasons for why we're just behind. But anyway, um, but I, I excelled in reading and writing and I liked to read as a kid and, um, you know, like ate up all the Harry Potter books, the fiction books. And then as I got older, when I started playing football. I was like eating up all like the football player biographies. And I just always read whatever interests me. So the war in Iraq very much interested me in Afghanistan because 9-11 happened the day before my 11th birthday. That was a pivotal moment in my life. I remember as a kid, I didn't have the words for it to express it now, but I just, I knew in my gut that this event was going to shape the rest of my life and not just my life, but the course of our country, the course of the world. And it has, it absolutely Mm -hmm. has. I just, I knew that this was a moment and it was always going to be one of those moments in my life where there was like this, there was before this and then there was after this. Um, so I read a lot about that and, and I, I still look up to, as I'll sit here all day and say that the Iraq war was illegal and that, you know, like the Bush administration, like it, it was bullshit and it, and it had no, like it, it, no good, no true good came of it. Um, it was just global powers moving around pieces on a chessboard for their own gain. But I still look at the Marines who took part in that war as giants because i know why marines sign up they sign up and they say i'm going to put faith in the in my own government that they're good actors right and i'm going to do the hardest possible fucking job with the least glory involved in it and it's like you've kind of touched on this when you talk when you talk to like different guys who are special operators on this show their jobs are inherently sexier the job of a marine is to sleep in the fucking mud until combat happens there are literally patrols Marines get sent on where it's like, what's the plan? Walk out there until someone shoots at you. Return fire. That's yeah, your job. I, yeah, it's I know. Awesome. Like it takes, and so many Marines really, really like they, they get this kind of like, oh, I'm not, oh, I'm not a SEAL or I'm not a Green Beret, blah, blah, you know, like in the only other one I would want to do is the Rangers. Cause they're basically just Marines that only do direct action with like, Hey, we have an actual something to go hit. Whereas Marines are like, go sleep in the fucking hole for nine months. And I don't know, like the the Marine Corps job is to make a country safe enough for special operators to go do precision raids. That's really what the job is. So in terms of a real war, a conventional war like Iraq or an invasion, 
that's their time to shine. That's what they're, that's what they're here for. It's like in, it's like unleashing termites into a house. Um, when the Marines show up, you're fucked. So yeah. Yeah. And we'll shoot at anything. Yeah. Pretty well. I mean, if the ROE says you can, um, isn't that interesting how we keep fighting? This is why we don't win these wars because we keep fighting, um, under the Geneva convention and then our enemy never does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, on the flip side of that, if I was an Iraqi fucking kid and I had to fight the United States Marine Corps, I wouldn't follow the fucking Geneva Convention either. It's one of these things where once you get this, once you get the 30,000 foot perspective, you're like, they did what any of us would have done. That's right. I, I can't fault my enemy for not getting invaded. I would not let someone fucking invade New Orleans and I would play dirty. So it is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still look at those men who were in that war as fucking giants. And I look at the, the Marines. One six did the Battle of Marja. There's a HBO document. One six was my unit. Um, you know, when you get to one six, your seniors are like, watch the fucking Battle of Marja on HBO. Like this is your this is what your unit did. This is what you're expected to fucking uphold. And like I look at, you know, like Tom Schumann and three five and, you know, how they took Sangin and how much how many fucking people they lost to do it. And then those are just, those are giants. Those are fucking heroes. And they gave so fucking much for a government that couldn't give a fuck about them or about the people in this country at all. But I digress. I became a writer. We just keep getting off track because. No, it's, it's not, but that's, it's not off track. This is called real. This is called raw. This is why people listen to my show. Very much is, but both of us are like dogs and we just chase cars and our brain is just like a fucking highway. That's okay. That's okay. I'm a writer because I grew up, um, pretty, pretty, uh, I just, I like to read. So, you know, I, I read all those books and then I, um, war poetry was kind of starting to come out because the, the war books were all lone survivor and American sniper and all that. And, and those books, you know, were more or less turned into Hollywood propaganda to get kids to keep reenlisting. But you can't sit here and tell me that Chris Kyle or Marcus Luttrell are truly writers. They had a story and they had a ghostwriter. They're not writers in the way Leo Jenkins is a writer and he told his own story in his own right. word. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of writers were coming out with that and then they were starting to come out with you know, actual poetry. David Rose is a really good one. He wrote Spent Shell Casings. It's been republished under the name No Joy. But all these, all, all the memoirs coming out of the GWAT were like very like pro-America. Um, and they all seem to be dudes from Texas who were SEALs. This was just this weird trend that kind of happened. But David Rose came out and he was like, I was a kid who kind of grew up in like Orlando and I was bored and I wanted to become a recon Marine. Uh, because they were fucking badass and I really wanted to kill somebody in, in, in war because I didn't know what else to do with my life. And I'm like, this is the vein. This is, this is the truth. This is why a lot of these kids actually fucking sign up. When you read generation kill generation kill is about like, Hey, like we have this idea that like this war is full of like the greatest generation, like mom and pop from world war two. It's like, no, these are kids who grew up on like Nirvana and NWA. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just here because they're like, who's going to miss the fucking war? Like they, you know what I mean? Like where else would they be? Right. right. Um, 
And, and that was the truth. And he just, he told a very true story and it's not like it, it, I was reading it before I went in when I was still on probation, waiting to see what I was going to do. I'm reading it and I'm like, this would not be very palatable to the average civilian because it's not the greatest generation image we're trying to tell everyone that service members are, but I'm reading it. And I'm like, but it's true. Right. So he put out a lot of really good poetry. Justin Egan published like seven goddamn poetry collections, self-published. Justin Egan's like a, a, a freaking OG. He'd be a really cool guest to have. Um, he's running for office down in Florida, trying to, which is a state that doesn't even need to be cleaned up. But like the, the more veterans you get in office, the better, in my opinion. Um, mm. So it was it was getting out there. Right. And I had started just kind of writing with myself. I'm like, I just need to, to write. Um, and, uh, in love and war came out through dead reckoning and I hadn't read any of dead reckonings books yet. There weren't that many out, but that was the, like the collection and in love and war is a anthology of a ton of different veterans that submitted poetry. And the idea is that veterans tend to write about love or war. Right. And I feel like the titles to take on all's fair in love and war probably is, probably. but and I'm like, I am, just post this breakup, you know, to, trying to like mend that at the time unsuccessfully. And also like, you know, post processing, like what was Syria to me and I'm still like in, so I'd lost my rank. I just got junior Marines and like those getting junior Marines, like saved my fucking life. Cause I had something else to get up and, and give myself to every day besides myself. If that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, there, at that point, there was really nothing for me to gain in my career. There's no bouncing back from getting knocked down to private first class right as you're about to hit corporal. It's too late in the game. And the Marine Corps is just a little too picky about who they let stay in with that kind of shit on their record. So to me, I was like, I, I'm just, I'm just going to train the fuck out of these kids. And, you know, it, 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 and that was kind of the attitude of my best friend also got a DUI like the same month as me. So we were both not down to PFC. He's bigger than me. Um, Terrifying. So our company guns got to call on us like the bash brothers, like in the, <laughs> I don't know if you ever watch always sunny in Philadelphia, but we, yeah. we, we went by the gruesome twosome. Oh. <laughs> Fucking uh, Charlie and Frank, but um, Perfect. We, we, we would, that was like our fucking show. But um, like they put us in a barracks together. They're like, yeah, these are the two PFCs. We both ended up getting Navy and Marine Corps achievement medals as Lance corporals because <clears throat> we had that Syria deployment under our belt and we had a lot of experience and, you know, what we didn't have in rank, we made up for and just like giving a fuck. Um, and that part of that is because of how the unit was like you show up to one six. It's like this unit has a legacy going back to World War One. So no weak shit. Right. And we just were like, we're not going to this is our moment. We're seniors. We're not going to let the fucking heavy machine gun platoon get soft on our watch. Um, so that that was kind of what I was going through at that point in my life. But, you know, I, I was reading that book and I was like, this is actually a really cool way to get something off your chest and just down. So I wrote them all in my notes app. Um, I still have that phone, even though like it broke when I was up in Montana doing the patrol base Abate retreats. Um, it won't charge without like a very specific, like contact charger. And it just, <laughs> it, I was like, this is not tenable. So, but I no. so much, there's so much poetry on there. So I'll get it charged back up over like a day, day or two. 
and it's on there. And most of it has been pulled off of there, put onto this laptop, compiled into this book. Right. And that's just what I was doing. And it was how I was processing shit in the moment. So I could get back into living my life, which at the time was a lot of field training. We spent about half of every month in the field that work up. Um, a lot of weekends, a lot of weekends where they're like, we'll get you on the back end. And there was no back end. There's never uh, a back end. Never a fucking back end. They were going to make us do a, a, a fucking field op during like Memorial Day weekend. And uh, it was just like, dude, what? <laughs> like, hey, at least you have a Memorial Day. Well, agreed. Um, <laughs> like, it's like of all the holidays, this is like, it's like, shouldn't all you guys be going drive up to Arlington? Like, come on. Like, this is what, kind of what we do. You know, we, we all do our own thing that weekend, but it was a very, very fast paced workup. We won battalion of the year for the division battalion of the quarter three times. Um, I mean, we were a, we were a well-oiled machine. We were a shit hot unit and I was super proud of everyone that I served with. And there's a theme. I don't, not a lot of it made it into this book, but there's a theme in some of my writing where it's like, I had so many friends that were like, we didn't get a combat action ribbon. We didn't get a car. Like it doesn't matter. And, to me, it's like, it mattered to me because we all gave up for the best years of our lives. And it's not like it, Marines get this idea where we get so used to like what we do. We think anybody could fucking do this. Right. It's like, that's not the case. I did a post on my Instagram way back in the day where I broke it down by the numbers of like the fact that at any given moment in the military, there are only X amount of whatever billet you're filling. Um, and the numbers are actually like kind of mind blowing. I'm trying to find it. Uh, where the fuck is it? Here, you take take a second with that. I'm going to pause us for a second. OK. Yeah. So you were looking for something. Oh, I, yeah, I found it. So it's um, it was a it was just a post I did. Um, it's not really poetry, but as as the Instagram page grew, I was like, I'm going to use this platform to to, to speak on some of these things I've seen in the, in the, in the culture while I was in it, because I hated people who are always running down their own service because they didn't fucking get a deployment or a car. It's like none of it's like nobody in the Marine Corps is doing that. So it's not your fault. You can't pick your deployment. All you no. can do is go the fuck up, do the best you can do at your job, become as proficient as possible. And then when you get juniors, train them, you're passing the torch, you're maintaining right you are maintaining readiness for the next thing because the next thing turns out is always fucking coming because our governments just can't stop fighting wars. But I broke it down like this. I was like, um, so if you're a rifle or a squad leader, a rifle squad leader, right? There's only 27 of them in, a, in an entire battalion. There's only 648 squad leaders for rifle platoons in the entire fucking Marine Corps. When you break it down, there's like roughly, what is it, like 15,000 total infantry Marines. <clears throat> so it's like if you're a team leader, there's 1,944 team leaders in a, in a, in a, in a branch that's about 180,000 people. So that's roughly, is that 1% or 10%? Don't math me. Don't act like I know math. 1%, right? So there's, only 27 machine gun squad leaders in a regiment. There's 216 machine gun squad leaders in the Marine Corps. I like broke it down. I'm like, how many, how many regiments? Are there? Okay, how many battalions are there? And I just kept breaking right. it down because everything's in like in threes so that, because Marines can't count that fucking high. So 
But it was one of those things where it's like, hey, like, be fucking proud of yourself. Like, what? no matter what you're being sent to do, you're the one who's here right now. And when I think of the, the guys I served with, it's like, it's not like they were just replaceable. Right. I get what you're saying. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, when you guys talk about the size of your military, you're like platoons, like what you're talking about is like the size of like the Canadian army. Like we, I mean, it's interesting because our population is so much smaller. So when I hear you saying these numbers, they sound astronomical, but really they're not, especially for a country, your size and people that are deploying at the pace that you were, it's not. And when the turnover is what it is, that's troubling because that's how people die when there's inexperience, lack of leadership, lack of training. And it seems like for whatever reason, that seemed to be the pace you guys were turning out. What I don't understand is why they wouldn't have seen the leadership skill that you guys were able to put into a unit of people and not see value in keeping that rather than booting you out because of a mistake you made. Cause in the Marine Corps, that's the standard. Like I held, so as a, on my first deployment, as a, I had just made Lance corporal, I was holding a billet that in the Marine Corps is intended for a corporal and in the army is intended for a Sergeant turret gunner in a, in a mounted heavy machine gun platoon to the army. That's a Sergeant's responsibility. Sergeants in the Marine Corps are running that entire fucking platoon. You were just getting paid less. Yeah, pretty much. But that, that is the expectation. The Marine Corps is based on so the theory, right? There's a um, they have a little manual called war fighting. I don't know if you've ever seen this or not. I'll show not you. not. Yeah. Show me, because, again, I got a little booklet <laughs> about the country I was deploying in. And that was about it. So the lack of uh, lack of training on that front. I like collected and like never let go of. Um, But this is a publication called Marine Rifle Squad. Right. Okay. And I shouldn't even have this because I was not a rifleman. Like, but all those tactics of how to patrol and do all of that shit. Obviously, machine gunners still have to do that. I have what's called the Bible. Oh, Jesus. It's three tag 15 machine guns and machine gun gunnery, um, which just sounds fucking cool. Right. Yeah, obviously. But this is like, these are two of the first things that you fucking read in the, in the Marine Corps. Leading, Leading Marines. War fighting. This is a small publication and it's just the theory of what war is and how it should be fought. And the Marine Corps dictates that it should be fought through decentralized command. Meaning if the lowest ranking members of a unit and the smallest unit is a team, a team leader, automatic gunner, his assistant and a point man, right? If that team leader can make decisions by himself, understanding his role in the bigger picture, that's decentralized command. He doesn't always have to sit there and wait paralyzed for someone to tell him what to do. That is what the Marine Corps so fucking lethal compared to China, Japan, Russia, where their job is not to make decisions and be a thinking fighter. It's to be on the line and shoot until you get shot. That's right. the difference. That is, and that's the thing. So it's like, why would the Marine Corps let go? It's because when I showed up, I was expected to know the job. My seniors weren't training me to know my job. They were training me to start thinking about the next job, to know the next job up. That's how the culture there works. It's how it's designed. So when I got boots, <clears throat> we gave them a competency test and we, and we retested them fairly regularly because it's everything they were expected to show up knowing. 
And if you right. didn't get 80%, well, your life was not going to be very fun, right? That was the minimum. I'm like, everybody on here should be getting 100% on this fucking test because if you don't know any of this about a machine gun, you're a fucking liability. And so many of these kids had this mindset where it's like, well, we're just doing a deployment to Japan. And I was like, I thought I was just doing a deployment to fucking Spain and then I was in Syria. So shut the fuck up, bitch. You're in the Marine Corps. It can happen at any minute. And it's a mind, it was this, it was like a cancerous mindset that set in where everybody's like, well, we're not really deploying. It's like, you are doing a disservice to everyone around you if you're not taking right. this shit seriously every day. Right. But in six months, the kids who were really fucking competent, I'm fucking teaching them how to be a fucking vehicle commander and how to right. fucking, and how to, how to handle that, that part of the unit in a patrol. So it's easy for the Marine Corps to say, fuck them, let them go. We're just going to train the next generation. It's, it's entirely built on recruiting and not on retention. That's, and that's what's concerning because there is that, and you see it, you're only as good as the worst person in your unit. And that person becomes the liability. And it's, yeah. it's really, yeah, it's, it's a struggle. It, it, it's, it's a frustrating process. And I can imagine how irritating that would have been for you because it seems like from the outside perspective, and in my opinion, you were very good at your job. So it's troubling I, when you see people get let go for just things that happen in life. The shit I think about today, and it's, it's fucking, I, I shouldn't worry about this kind of shit, but I think about how I could have been better to this day. I really do. Well, I think how you can be better is keep doing what you're doing. Right. Exactly. You I can't go back in the Marine Corps. I have a, I have yeah. a code on my reenlistment on my D214 that says I need a waiver to get back in. But I don't think that's the space for you. I think that you are able to now take the leadership that you had, the learned behavior that you had, you're able to put it into things like Rock Eater and you're able to teach in a different way. Like you said, you're reading these manuals because they're important. You're reading these poetry and these things that came out because those were indications of what was happening and, and people could understand. You're giving the civilian population and the military members Rock Eater. This has value. This has value that no one can take from you. This has values the Marines can't kick you out for. This has value in a way that you wouldn't be able to give if you went back in the Marines. You would have been a number. You would have been expendable again. This makes you not expendable. This is now in history. This is on paper. Unless you're in Canada. We're currently burning books. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I digress. My point is this. Will certainly get burnt. <laughs> this isn't going anywhere. This is a I legacy. I, I mean, I guess time will tell. I, I have, I think every writer is like this. They're like, ah, it's, it's just my book, you know, like, but I read other people's stuff and I'm like, this is incredible. And they're like, oh, thank you. Like, I know, but that's what I'm saying to you. I think you have more value this writing this than you do as going and being a Marine again. I, I mean, I would say definitely the only, the, everyone's banging the, the drum for the Ukraine. And you know what? Like, if I know Marines, I know that they're like, they, they would gladly go because they just want to be in a fight. But the only reason I would ever go fight in a war right now is not, it, it has nothing to do with the country. It's because if Marines are going to go, I would want to be with them. I right. want to bring whatever my skill set is to the table and contribute. Um, you know, and that's, it, it's, it, and this is what pretty much everyone says. It's like after a certain point, like you don't feel like you're fighting for your country. I didn't fight for the American flag. I fought for this flag. I fought for the dudes' names that are on here. That's right. all I get out, right? Because that's 
all that matters at that point. Well, especially when you're being shot at the government that you're fighting at, it doesn't matter. I fought with a different country. Like it doesn't matter. I shot artillery for a different country. That's not mine. It doesn't matter. It's the people, you know, that rely on you on the other end of that, yeah. that are side by side with you. That's what matters. And that's why people keep going because they know if their buddy's there, I want to be there because if you're not there when your buddy dies, you know, or you think whether it's true or not that you could have prevented it because that's the thing called survivor's guilt. And it's a real fucking thing. And that's understandable. So I get why you would want to go do that. I listen, when Ukraine popped, I, I looked at my, well, when Afghan pullout happened and we were doing some stuff, my husband knew there was no way I was not, not going to be involved on some level because I couldn't, even I couldn't be on the ground. There had to be something that I could do because I couldn't sit there and watch it happen after you've been there. You can't, it's like, it's just no different than Ukraine right now. There's plenty of people that would be like, if, if the government said we're going, they would reenlist in a heartbeat and not because it's Russia or it's Ukraine. Of course, there's an aspect of wanting to help the population that's being pummeled for no fucking reason. Then they did nothing to deserve, but there's still the idea that if my guy's going, I'm going to. It's that's just is what it is, man. But I think you hold more value now to society with things like this. I think you're smart enough and you have a brain in your head that is that is capable of doing something like rock eater. This holds way more value than you going and running and gunning. It just does. And 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 that's my opinion. Yeah. Take it for whatever it is, but it's true. I, I believe you're going to be able to give insight into things that most people will never experience. You're going to be able to give insight into, into suffering, into pain, into ways that we don't need to keep repeating this trauma, this bullshit that we, we tell the government tells us we need to keep perpetuating. We don't, it's not something we need to keep doing, doing things like this writers, like Leo Jenkins, writers like you, that's, What's going to stand the test of time? Yeah, uh, the the next book I put out is probably is, or that I would that I have in my mind that I have a, a kind of a an idea for is very much uh, an, an anti war book, but not even it's but it's not even like it's just anti war. Like I just have thoughts about on what war is because it is part of human behavior, right? Not just human history, but human behavior. Humans have been at war since since day since Cain killed Abel since day one right and it's there and it's mostly abused by people in power and it's I just I have a lot of thoughts on it and I'll, I'll write about that at some point but I'm excited um, to see what that would look like this book is like uh I hope Marines read it I hope they like it and I hope they don't fucking make the mistakes I made I hope if they need help they go get help and I hope if they have a drinking problem they get help which most of them do um i hope you know like they just i hope you know people don't make the same mistakes i made because it should have a cost it's actually a funny story so i got the i got the dui in between a team leaders course the first week was all classroom stuff right and i was like about to get put on a board for a meritorious promotion to, to corporal i was like excelling ahead of mm -hmm. my peers i was doing really well so I was like class commander for this, this course. Uh, the whole first week was like a, just a lot of like really, really, really hard PT, um, some land nav stuff and like a lot of classroom work. But like 
classroom shit was my bread and butter. Like I knew my job, like the back of my hand. The hardest part for me was being good at running because I have no femurs. I'm five, seven, and I'm like well over 200 pounds. Talk to me about your small legs right now. It's hard to get all this weight moving. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, but so we did that. And then I went out of town for the weekend. We had a 72 um, and I, I got in trouble. So I get back, I get my ass chewed out by first sergeant. And then we do a like 12 mile hike at this insane fucking pace with like a super heavy pack. Like they were just like trying to break us on this one. Cause it was run by all of our senior NCOs. Um, so to them, they were like, this is like, you know, we're going to nut check them. And everybody did really well, but it was, it was a break off. I'm not going to lie. Um, we hiked something like 60 miles in three days. So we went out to the field, we were doing PB offs the whole time. And in my head, like I'm, I'm doing field training and we're doing all that. But in the back of my head, I'm like, I fucked up my life. I fucked up my life. I fucked up my life. Like it's over for me. Um, so we get back and I was, uh, the honor graduate for the course and then they're like, hey, you need to go see your platoon command in the, in the company office. So I'm walking through and all the lieutenants are like, you crushed it, Rod. Like they're like high-fiving me. They're like all pumped. And I go sit down and I'm like, it's, here's my ass chewing from my, my NCOs. My, uh, my section leader goes, like, he's like, Rod, do you have a drinking problem? And I was like, I don't think I drink any more or less than anyone else. You know, I was like, everybody drinks a lot in the Marine Corps. He goes, Rod, a drinking problem is when you drink and then it causes problems in your life. So I'll ask you again, do you have a drinking problem? And I was like, I said, yes. I was like, in my head, I'm like, yeah, actually I do. And I was talking to someone about this last night. I grew up in South Louisiana. I've, you could say I've had a drinking problem since age 14. It's, it's culturally down here. People drink a lot and they drink young and they binge drink and it's just normal. And why? Because we do. I don't fucking know. It's just people just party hard as fuck down here for no goddamn reason. It's a fun place to live. But like looking back on my life, I'm like, this is not healthy. And it's not like my parents encouraged it. They really wished I hadn't drank so much in high school, but they were divorced. And I really didn't spend time with my dad. And my mom was working three jobs. And I looked like this at 14. So she got me a job working construction to help pay bills. Like it's just fucking you know, yeah. all that shit. Yeah. So, you know how rare, like, not rare your story is in terms of that. Like, that's no, what's concerning. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, and, and I had it. I had a much better off childhood than a lot of fucking people I knew in the Marine Corps. I I lately have been um, very fortunate to be around a lot of incredible people, but also learn a lot about their childhoods and it makes me, it makes me queasy as a mom being a mom. Now I feel genuinely nauseous when I hear I get life is rough and people have to go through things, but fucking hell man. It's, it's no wonder you struggle emotionally, not you in particular, but people struggle emotionally. It's, it's no wonder people have drinking habits. It's no wonder people go through what they do and, and have a hard time integrating as an adult. You know, none of that is like on you. So, and like I said, a lot of it is just a cultural thing in Louisiana. Like everybody here has a DUI. Like it's just one of those things. When you get, when you get a DUI in Louisiana, everyone's like, ah, you know, 
it shouldn't be that way. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you know, I, I wasn't convicted of either of them. I don't and they still any, booted you for them? I don't have any of them on my record. Well, the Marine, I was guilty in the Marine Corps' eyes. We'll talk about this real quick. I have the palm in there called non-judicial, right? So the way it played out, you have your battalion command who's in charge of shit like that. You don't get a regimental non-judicial punishment unless you really, really, really fuck up. If it goes to that level, it's probably just going to go to court-martial. But because right. of the way my deployment fell, I was pulled from my unit, deployed. When I got back, they left. So we were what's called the remain-behind element. We took command of all of the people who didn't have enough time on contract to deploy, had an injury and couldn't deploy, or had too much legal trouble to deploy. <clears throat> and then we had our own company who was a fully functioning company. So we did a lot of field training, and then we did a little two-month thing in Latvia with the, with the bigger, with the battalion that came back, and that's when I got in trouble. But our company was not under the battalion command because they were in Europe, so we were under our regimental command. A regimental colonel can do a regimental level NJP, a non-judicial punishment, Article 15, what have you, right? It's where they take your rank and then they put you on house arrest to your barracks room for, for me, it was 45 days with 45 extra duty. Um, and they can also take your money, but I had to pay a lawyer outside of the military. So they didn't, thank God, they didn't take my money. Fortunately. The little money that I did make. <clears throat> so the colonel was in Afghanistan running task force Southwest. So in his place, the regimental executive officer was acting as commander. Now there's supposed to be, I didn't learn about this until I tried to reenlist. And this is why they couldn't overturn my NJP because they were gonna, my command wanted me to stay in so bad. They were going to go to bat to try to get my NJP <clears throat> expunged. When I went to my NJP, we argued, it was like, Hey, he didn't take a breathalyzer. There's no proof that he has a DUI. He's just been charged and they haven't even given him a court date yet. They're like, so we're arguing that yes, he was speeding out of bounds, which is a company level. And if he is later found guilty of DUI and JP at that time, the guy was like, fuck no. It turns out that guy did not have authority to do the NJP. Multiple admin Marines have told me your NJP paperwork should have had a letter signed by that colonel saying that he could NJP you. <clears throat> so I, it's one of those things where I do feel a tremendous amount of guilt about what I did. Cause I did it. I did it, but the system decided it was going to overlook some of the things it was supposed to do. Right. To make a lot of me. Because that is what the that is what the unit the UCMJ the Uniform Code of Military Justice it's a uniform code of military making a fucking example out of people. That's what mm -hmm. it is. It's not it's not actual justice. It's not innocent until proven guilty. It's none of that shit. Right. I lost my career for uh, a DUI that I beat, and it was so far out of bounds that if I hadn't even told my command, they probably never would have known. So Marines, don't snitch on yourself if you get in trouble out of bounds. Let them find out because they're going to fuck you just as hard no matter what. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? But you're a good person and that just shows you're a good enough person that you were willing. You know you, you fucked up and you're honest about it. I don't think that's a bad thing. I know it's had serious consequences on your life and I don't. But it made this. I'll tell you, a lot of this book is me trying to fucking figure out if I'm a good person or not. Um, I can tell you you are, Mason. So we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. A lot of times 
in that in in the time this was written, there were a lot of times where I didn't I didn't feel like it. But, but that's okay. That's art, baby. That's the business. That's art. That that's it. I want you to tell me out of every poem in here, besides Rock Eater and How to Spot an IED, I know there's a theme. Yeah. Every single one of these, which one hit you the hardest? Which one is is truly the definition of you? Don't say rock eater because I bet you there's another one in there. I'm looking at the table of contents and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna because they're all so hard hitting that I feel like there's something else in here. I mean, you the theme is there, but I gotta tell you, adolescence is a really it's a heavy one. And I think, you know, just the way you were speaking um, about growing up in your life and what that's like for you and why that was so difficult. I'm not leaving. I got to plug this laptop in. No, do your thing. I just think that that one seems to hold a lot of water. And in terms of who you became, how you became who you are and why you are, um, there's just a lot of correlations and it's a really powerful one. I mean, so it's one of those things where like most Marines just enlist right out of high school. And I didn't, I had an unusual path to mm-hmm. the military and I'm, I'm, I, I, I compiled this book. I met Tyler at the retreat up in Montana. Um, and I had talked to him. He hosted me on Instagram live, um, the month, two months before when they were having poets come on and read because the Instagram, my Instagram page was kind of picking up some traction, but I hadn't even shown my face yet. It was all just anonymous but they wanted me to come on and read. And I talked to him. Then I met him in person. He was like, you know, if you have anything like, I'm like, I'm kind of actually working on a manuscript. He's like, well, you should, you should submit it and we'll look at it. And it was one of those, like, I'm not telling you to, but like, we kind of want to publish you, dude. Like just send us what Hmm. you got. Um, You read the forward written. Yeah. From Tyler. (laughs) That, (laughs) that, that shit is all true. I drank him under the goddamn table and I'm going to do it again in Jacksonville. Oh dear. No, it's, um, he was like, he's like, yeah, I just, I'm competitive. I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> if we're going to, so, but we, I mean, we just lost track of time. Tyler's legitimately like a very good friend of mine now. Um, a really and good I person. Wait, and I can't wait to meet Keith in person. Cause Keith's awesome. Keith was uh, ruthless with the editing. It was rough, but um, I wrote adolescence cause I had compiled everything and I kind of started looking at the manuscript and I'm like, where are their gaps? Where are their parts that it needs more context. Where is, and is there something I could write on the spot? And adolescence kind of just came out of me. Cause I was like, if I had to explain how the fuck I ended up in the Marine Corps in a poem, how do I do that? And I think it went pretty well. So are you asking like what, if there's a poem in here that defines me or if there's a poem that like, like what hit me? Well, I think you just answered it. I think how you got to where you were, I think adolescence does that. I think you, you explain very well in this poem, how you got to be into the military and how you were, because that it's really heavy hitting. And as you were, you know, I've read this before, but as you were talking about your life and how you grew up and, and why it was that you, you became, you know, you, that really does encompass a very, that's a great, hmm, it's a one page, really good descriptor of you. And I just spoke about the towers not long ago, and that's literally how you start. And I think that's, you know, if you were to look at anything into how you got where you are, I think adolescence is a really great example of that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of witness me personally. I don't know if you remember that one. 
Mm, no, but I'm gonna I'm gonna flip to it. What page is it on again? It is on 124. That's super funny. I just flipped to 123. Huh. Oh yeah. This okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This makes sense. Um I I would I would agree, but I think from a if you were looking at how you got to where you were, adolescence brings it, you know, that's a big be- that's a beginning for sure. That shows how you how things impacted you so young, so much so that it drove you to becoming a Marine. Well, I was also always looking for something to, to like, to become a man, if that makes right. sense. Yep. Like yeah. Because you boys, like a lot of young boys, that was football. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked on at a small college. Then I tried to walk on at LSU. I had a knee injury that ended that. And at that point I was like, I called my parents. I'm like, I'm going to drop out. They're like, you're so you, you're like, they're like, you're halfway to your degree. I'm like, in my mind though, in 2011, I'm like, degrees are useless. Like everyone in Louisiana that I know that makes money works in a refinery or on the shipping, but like they do blue collar fucking work. Like you don't need a degree money in this state. I'm like, I'm just racking up debt. And they were like, but they were of that generation where it's like, I was talking to my dad about this yesterday. I'm like, dad, how much you and mom pay for your first house in 1990? He's like hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, what do you think that's worth now? 300 fucking thousand dollars probably. What was the, co- how much did a college degree cost to get in 1980 when they graduated? Yeah. It's fucking $30,000 to get one now. And does a degree set you apart in the job market? No. You know, what's going to set me apart in the fucking job market? I wrote a book. That's right. That's actually fucking do something for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Shit like that. I, I could, it's, it's like, I was able to see it without putting the words to it. I've, I've known, I feel like I've known for a very long time that this whole charade of, of how our society is set up is a fucking house of cards and it's a lot of bullshit. Um, but where was I fucking going with that? But no, it was football and then it was rugby. And then it was like, Toward the end of my time in college, I'm like, what am I going to do? I got a degree in strength and conditioning. My plan was to walk on, probably never, probably never sniff the field, but, you know, like be on a major football team and like get in with the strength and conditioning coach there and do an internship. Well, that didn't pan out. I finished this degree and it's like, okay, well, you kind of have to get a master's and do unpaid internships. And I'm like, I, the only, I only know one person who made it in that field. He's a coach at a small college now but he did a lot of unpaid internships. And I'm like, I don't have the means or the financial literacy to make this fucking work. Right. So I went, I graduated college and went right back to the fucking construction job I had at 14 years old. And they got on in a refinery. And then like, it finally, I was just like, I'm going to fucking enlist. Like I'm doing this. Cause I didn't know what, I didn't know what else to do. I think you made the right choice. I... I disagree with that like every day, but I don't know what other choices there were. This is just, this is how I figured out who I was and I'm still in the process of figuring out who I am and what I'm going to do. And um, I don't know, hopefully after this book comes out, I get a nice little chunk of change and I'm not like living paycheck to paycheck, but. I think the reason you made the right choice um, is because no, no one in their life who does anything worth talking about has had a easy route or not gone without trauma or gone through really, really difficult times in their life because they're not interesting people. Anybody who goes from living a great life to a great degree to them becoming a doctor. I mean, I mean, no one's writing memoirs about them. No one's writing books about them. 
No one's having conversations. They might be great in their circle, in their bubble, in the way that they want to live. But if you want to be remembered, if you want to have an impact, if you want your name to be here when you're no longer here, you do things like Rock Eater. What's funny is I don't like all of that sounds awesome. I would rather just have a fucking wife and kids right now in like a fucking stable life. But I don't. I know. I guess, you know, that's not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It's not meant for you yet. When that time comes, it will. And it will. You'll know. But it's just not meant for you yet. You have you have things to do. Yeah, I know. Trust me, you'll get there, dude. And every day that you get better and you keep your mind right and you keep on the right track and you do things for the right reasons, you'll get there. I'm, I'm, I think I will at some point. So I think you will, because honestly, let's let's be real about it. Like be real, real about it. If you had a wife right now or all those past years that you were in through all of the struggles, do you really think? Like many, many, many people, especially in the American military, do you think it wouldn't have ended in divorce? I mean, me and my ex broke up instead of getting married and divorced. It's essentially, we, we were headed in the same fucking direction no matter right. what. But like, I just pulled the plug early. But to mm -hmm. me, like, you know, Chris asked me when he had me on Savage Wonder last week, he's like, would you rather have things going the way it went and wrote Rock Eater or have things played out to where you didn't get the DUI and you ended up in like Marsoc like you wanted to do. And I'm like, honestly, like right now, I wish I would have just like figured out a plan on how to successfully transition out and like came home and like fucking fixed the relationship. But like, that's all hindsight. And, but that's the honest truth. Like in my gut, it's like neither option. The way right. I wanted it, the way I, looking back, the way I wish it would have played out, like I was nowhere near, I hadn't learned the lessons the hard way that brought me to that point where I'm like, this is what I actually want out of life. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted more deployments, which is not real fucking life. That's the beauty of it. Me and my buddies still talk about Syria. Like it was the greatest fucking thing ever. And we feel that way because we didn't lose anybody one, but even guys who had fucking losses on their combat deployments will tell you there's, there's something that gets in you out there and you're like, you're alive you're alive in a way that nothing else feels like that. It's like, it's just, how do you fucking describe that? You can try, but you're fucking, you're there. You're in that moment and everything else is fucking gone. And it's just this, like, that's fucking, it's just some tribal shit. Like, I don't fucking. I get it. Yeah, I know you get it. I absolutely know you get it. So it's just. You know, so I came back and I'm like, I got to fucking go back. I got to get back in the fight however I can. So I know that feeling, but I can tell you um, that that feeling doesn't go away. It, 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 there'll always be that part of you, but there's, you realize that it's not all of you anymore and that's okay. There's other things that let's say fill the void, but there's other things that you realize like, Oh I don't have to be doing that to feel that good. I don't have to be doing that to, to get that rush. You can always have that. That's a part of you that doesn't go away. I know what that feels like to talk about those things, but I can tell you the path that you're on now 
you're on for a reason. This is going to help more people than you can imagine. You've given insight into things that people can't wrap their brains around. Most people, even if they have deployed this book, man, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. I, I hope so. I, um, I know so. Yeah, I'm just, I'm bad at taking compliments on it. You don't have to take a compliment. It's the reality it is, is you've written something here that's special. And I think, I wish that I could articulate the way that you have here, because that's why it hits me. Maybe the way it hits me is because I know what this feels like and smells like and touch. Like, I get this. This is, this is, this is how it got started I was, uh, so the second deployment we did was the UDP. You basically just go to the bases on Okinawa. The Marine Corps has maintained bases on Okinawa since we took it in World War II. Sucks to suck, shouldn't have lost. Um, So COVID hit, we were locked down to the base. Like they weren't even letting us like PT in the morning. Like we were doing nothing but drinking and going to the beach. So yeah, which sounds like a blast, but it's like after a while, you're like, it's fucking Groundhog Day. And I'm like, I'm just... I had six months left in the Marine Corps. I'm like, I'm ready to get the fuck out. When I would drink, the guys that I knew wouldn't absolutely drag me for writing poetry. I would share some of this stuff with them. Yeah. Little th- whatever was relevant, right? Like when I read Cutthroat Court to one of my buddies, because the command had just been on some especially fuck shit lately. Um, he was like, dude, that is fucking incredible. And, it, and they all kind of just said the same thing. They're like, you're putting shit into words that like, I feel like in my bones, but I don't know how to say it. And I don't know how to tell it to my family and shit like that. Mm-hmm. You're like, you should make an Instagram because I, uh, I kind of, for whatever reason, social media just makes sense to me. It's pretty easy to figure out how it works. And I had been extremely vocal on my social media. Like all day, I'm just conspiracy theory posting. And it turns out that it was all right. It was all true. But every day I'm just on there, just like ranting about COVID and how, how like a virus does not give the government the authority to shut down your business. I'm like, this is basic yeah. shit. These are your rights. Like, why don't you care? Motherfuckers, idiots. Yeah. It was in that moment that I realized most Americans' freedoms were not worth fighting for because they won't even fucking fight for them. Right. Yeah. A little bit. So they were like, dude, you should make an Instagram for this poetry. And I was like, eh. And they're like, do it. So I just did it in like June and it just took off. And the coolest part about it was that <clears throat> I was anonymous for a while. So I'm like, cause I was like, I'm not putting my shit out there. Yeah. Well, Lack of duty, and the boys are just gonna absolutely fucking rail me. <laughs> my buddies, we were at the armory, and one of my uh, the original uh, handle was Warboy Poems. Because have you ever seen Mad Max Fury Road? I haven't seen it all, but I t- Warboys, and they're just like obsessed with like fighting. Yes, yes, yes. That struck me. I was always like, those are what Marines are. If I had to explain Marines, I'd be like, watch Mad Max, where they're like, I'm gonna jump off the back of this thing and like blow up this fucking car. Like, like they just, they, that's all they want to do because they're indoctrinated into it. Right. So that was the original one. And it was a bit too obscure of a reference. I think changing the name to dead gunner poetry was probably the smartest branding move in the history of social media. Uh, <laughs> dead gunner is just a drill machine gunners do. If the machine gunner gets shot, you roll them off and you get on the gun. Remember the first time I did it, I'm like, this is fucking morbid. Like in theory, Super morbid. In theory, uh, my best friend just got shot and I am more concerned about keeping the gun up. 
But that's part of what makes the machine gunner culture what it is. It's like the machine gun is above everything. Because if your guns stop, all your buddies who are assaulting the objective are fucked. So I digress. So it was putting me in touch with a lot of um, veterans. Fallujah vets and, and guys, and they would reach out and be like, this really hits. And I'm like, uh, there's no way anything I'm writing is going to fucking resonate with you. Like you like not true. Iraq, and, but you're right. Not true. They were like, they fucking loved it. But um, <clears throat> we were at the armory and my buddy, Justin was like, yo, are you, are you this war boy Instagram? And I'm like, this you, <laughs> he didn't pull up his phone, but he's like, yo, are you that war boy page? I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? He's like, dude, you are. And I was like, why are you being weird? Cause I'm like, I got to turn this on him. I'm like, why are you being weird? And then one of my other buddies is like, yeah, dude, you're being weird. <laughs> I was like, Thank you're me. being weird, man. Later that day I'm walking, I'm walking to the chow hall and he walks up to me. He's like, you're a terrible fucking liar. I'm like, yo, you keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> he's like, dude, it's good though. I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm like, yeah, but it's anonymous for a reason, dude. It just, it's, it's a, it feels weird to, to be doing that. And it's like, I was reluctant then. And then sometimes I'm like reluctant about it now. Cause I'm like, I'm just a fucking person. Like it doesn't, people think when you get this huge follower count that you're like fucking important. It's like, dude, that just means like a lot of people like what I write, but I'm still fucking, when I respond to people who will DM me something and granted, let me caveat off of this. If you were just like emoji reacting to shit on my story, I'm not going to say anything to that. Cause it's not a conversation, but people who reach out and they say, Hey, your writing has affected me this way or I'm going through this and that I have talked to so many fucking people because if you're going to take the time to talk to me, I'm going to talk to you. And they're always like, thank you for responding. I'm like, what kind of fucking Marine would I be if I blew you off right now? If I like, me right now, plenty of seals in them, they blow plenty of people off all the fucking time. And that's why I fucking don't because I know for a fact that like, and, and there's so many Marines who are like, well, I'm not soft, so I don't matter. It's like, well, you matter to me, bud. You know, this, right. is for, this is for us. This is not for the fucking soft community. They got their own shit. They're doing but great. That's what I'm saying, Mason. That's why it matters. That's why you're going to be more impactful now than you would have been in a regiment. Because you give a voice to people, like you said, you meet them at their intellect level. And some individuals feel these things and have no place to put their feelings and understand that they can't articulate it, dude. This, this does that. You give people a community. That's important. I know that more than anybody. My whole company is a community. We're the BNU army. I gotta watch, I gotta stop saying that because I feel like Trudeau's gonna show up at my fucking door because of Bill C-13. He's gonna be like, you have an army? And I'm gonna be like, what are you talking about? No, maybe. Shh, it's fine. South of the border, yes. Yeah, it's fine. They're everywhere actually all over the world, which is kind of fun for me. But my point is you have a community and you've given a voice and that heals people. And that makes people feel less alone. And that is what we need to keep doing. We keep making people feel like they shouldn't, they shouldn't be talking about their feelings or they shouldn't be expressing how the war made them struggle or they shouldn't that, you know, I didn't see combat. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Fuck you sideways. It matters. You matter what you say, what you felt, what you went through fucking matters. And this gives people a moment to realize that what they went through matters. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I I think like the, the book ends with some, some stuff about 
uh, a suicide that, and it's, yeah. it's that feeling of not mattering. I think that so many people go that route and then everybody has their own reasons, but like, I, I've struggled with it. And I write about that in the book too. It's like, I've dealt with suicidal thoughts. Like you want to talk about wanting to kill yourself. When I was sitting in that jail cell in fucking Georgia, I wanted to, I didn't want to be anymore. I was like, I don't, I was like, how am I going to carry on from this point? You know, it, it, that was a fucking hard road to walk. And a lot of times I didn't want to walk it, but all you do when you take your own life is pass that shit on to people that you love. And it's, I was mad about it for a long time and I've, I've had more people that I served with do it since then. And I'm not so much like mad at them anymore, or, but it's, it's. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be angry. And, and I've had, so, you know, two of my juniors, um, you know, did it too. And I, when I talked to some of them, they were just, they were mad. It's like, you can be mad. He was your best friend and he could have called you. And at the end of the day, like you, you fuck it. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answers, but like the shit I do with patrol base Abate and the fucking, you know, talking about what I talk about on social media. Like I just, I, I th- it, this is how I fucking help one person then fuck it like you know which i hate uh, i feel like i just used the terminology of all the people who did the covid lockdowns like if it saves just one person but like no but it matters what you're saying matters yeah exactly it does mason i say it every day and i sound like a broken record but if it means if it means getting trolled online if it means me sharing my story means i get fucked online or i people talk or whatever i don't give Hey, shit. What's funny is that people did troll the page online at one point. Like there was one where I posted about like when I came home and when I came home from Syria and like, but like how coming home was a weird feeling. Right. And some guy was like, uh, he commented, he's like, oh, I'm sure your fucking OIR pump was like so fucking hard. Uh, get, get over yourself or whatever. And then um, it was funny. So you're familiar with Goons Up on Instagram? No. Dude, he he created a community in 2017 for machine gunners to send in machine gun content, and he just reposted. It's that simple. They do Mark 19 Monday, 240 Tuesday, Weapons Wednesday. What? How do they know about these people? It, the page is, like, not about him at all. He was a no, machine but- gun Marine Corps. I'm going to – I'll show you this, like, offline. But yeah. So he started that in 2017 because so much of social media was just these meme pages about, like – that were, like – boot checking fucking people and fucking being like the Marine Corps sucks now. And it was just this very negative online space because, you know, and I know that the, the, the veteran military community kind of like occupied Instagram by force. That's where we have our fucking community on social media for now. So like, well, I'm going to start something. He's like, I'm going to start something that's like pro that's positive. Right. And it's, it's, it's like, cool. Right. So people were sending in like cool pictures or videos of them, like on ranges or from deployment or whatever of like them with their machine guns and shit. And it's like 120,000 followers now. And I remember at first when I would send stuff in, people like, what are you going to send it to you? Send it to goons up. You're cool. I'm like, yeah, I think it's cool. I think being a machine gunner is cool. It's a cool job. You wanted to be a machine gunner when you signed up. Did you not? Yeah. Coolest job I've ever fucking had. So Anyway, so I posted that poem and then Goons Up commented. He's like, 
He's like, bro, like that shit's played out like fucking, you know, deployment checking people and all that. He's like, and the guy's like, I just think it's a little ridiculous, so on and so forth. And then Dan Clancy, his Instagram is 03OG. Um, I don't know if you've seen him at all. No. The Marine, he was in Fallujah and the invasion and all that shit. He's got a K-bar tattooed through his neck. He's like a world-class powerlifter. And everyone loves his fucking clothing brand because it's like fucking, it's just really like hardcore. And so they're going back and forth and like, Adam, who runs Goons Up, is, like, trying to, like, just talk to the guy. And then Dan comments, shut the fuck up, boo, at him. And at, and at that point, I'm just like, I, like, like the real ones fuck with me. So I don't. I but don't that's care. all that matters. And you're putting something positive out there. And I'm also, like, I'm not out here claiming that I'm some fucking, like, hard-ass combat veteran that's got, like, a bunch of confirmed kills. I'm not, like, I'm not fucking stealing valor. I'm pretty honest about what I've fucking been yeah. through. Yeah. And a lot of people are not. Yeah, there was a one. I have a poem, so you read it in there. It's ribbon stack, and it's about my yeah. ribbon stack and how it's like we have a good conduct medal. Um, yeah, that you don't have. Well, I don't have it, but it's like generally <laughs> a, a stack like mine because I have an uh, achievement medal with a fucking star, which means I got one twice, but no good cookie, and like that's just very unusual because generally people who have <laughs> conduct are not also like getting awarded these kind of. So it's like. I just point out, I'm like, I was wearing it one day, like we were in like the service uniforms and somebody was like, you have a fucking name. So I was like a Lance Corporal. I'm like, I have two staff sergeant. Um, he's like, correct your shit. He was like fucking with me. Well, I was just like, I, I'm like, I do. Like, I don't know what you're. You yeah. Know. Insinuating here. Like, he was trying to check me. And I was like, what's your deal? dude?" Like, yeah. The point of the poem is that it doesn't matter. Someone commented on that post on Instagram with, cause I, the post is a picture of the fucking ribbon stack. Right. And some other stuff. And he's like, he's like, so you don't even have a fucking car. He's like, where's your car, bro. And I was just like, dude, if you still think that that is the end all and be all of serving, you are beyond my fucking help. And you need to go fucking like talk to a therapist. Like I right. just, it's a one inch piece of fucking cloth and ribbon and the guys who fucking earned it earned it but every single one of them that i know would gladly give it back to have their buddies back true every, every fucking one of them it's true and i i couldn't disagree i don't we don't get those t i mean can we i have one and i had to fight for it um we have too fucking many we have way too many when you look at pictures of world war ii marines but they, they look so cool they are cool. They're cooler than we'll ever be because they didn't make those guys get haircuts. Um, I know. Oh, and I know. I just, I just. They're also handsome. Oh, they are. In their, in their uniforms and they'll have like four ribbons. Yeah. I have seven. <laughs> like, what? Because we give out, uh, we give out the national defense ribbon for enlisting in a time of war. It's like, okay, if we're at perpetual war. I want one. Oh. Getting, I'll give you mine. Giving, getting I'll a national give you mine. <laughs> Getting a national defense ribbon used to be like a thing that you didn't really get because there wasn't right. always war. It's like, well, now there's perpetual war. Everyone starts with at least one. You get the global war on terror ribbon for being active duty for 30 days during, what? during, during the global war on terror. I had two ribbons within the first month I was in the fleet Marine forces. It's you, you get what I'm saying. There's too many goddamn ribbons. All the ribbons. Too many ribbons, too many medals. I love it. Not enough glory, right? It's something along those lines. I love it. It's all bullshit, right? Yeah. Uh, I love it, dude. 
It, it, it really is. But uh, um, listen, I know people's attention spans. And I, know. Um, I, rock eater. I want you to do me a favor right now. I want you to read to my listeners Rock Eater. Um, and then right after you're going to tell me exactly where people can buy this. Cause this is, this is your book's coming out tomorrow because this is going to release the day before. So I want you to tell everyone where you can get it, where they can find you, how they can support you and, and just how they can promote the shit out of this incredible book. All right. I did tell you, I was going to tell you where the, the term rock eater came from, right? I've been waiting for it. Yeah, well, we never got around. Well, I, that's why I said, like, we're just going to end on this one, because I love reading this because I get to say all kind of fucking like horrendous shit and people call it poetry. But um, we were in infantry training battalion and the way the Marine Corps does it is it's two months. The first month, everyone is just going to be infantry and they kind of separate you based on your aptitudes. But um, they can kind of tell who's going to be a machine gunner because it's always the dudes who show up looking like fucking linebackers. <laughs> And you, the, the, the joke, right, is that Marines, they eat crayons, right? Yes. Crayon eaters, window lickers, all you've, you've heard all of it, mouth breathers, all that shit, right? <laughs> and I remember I was standing in line. We were, like, getting checked in and all that. And one of the sergeants looked at me. He's like, that motherfucker is going to be a rock eater. And I don't know if it's a common term or if it's just what those instructors call them. But, like, to me, like, I knew he was talking about machine gunners. And it just sounded badass because it's like – Eating rocks would literally be painful, but someone would just do it anyway. And it's also somewhat implying that they're just like stupid, which I knew a lot of machine gunners that were, they were like mechanically inclined. They could take these things apart and put them back together in a second, but they like couldn't like could barely like form a fucking thought outside of that. But <laughs> that's, that's where it came from. And I was like, I like that a lot and I'm keeping it. It's brilliant. This is the title poem. This is, uh, this is what being a machine gunner is all about. I'm a rock eater. I'm a heavy bleeder. I'm a happy greeter to death's keepers. I'm a rock eater. I'm a motherfucker. I'm an older brother. I'm a big trucker. I'm a rock eater. I'm a non-thinker. I'm a hard drinker. I'm the middle finger. I'm a rock eater. I'm a hard hitter. I'm a lot thicker. I'm a brick shitter. We're rock eaters. Yo, guns up. Too fucking tough, we'll fuck you up. We're rock eaters, we're horny breeders, we're slut pleasers, we're ass eaters, we'll knock you up. We're rock eaters, whole lot of hate, whole lot of weight, we're gatekeepers, we're hate breeders. I'm a rock eater, I'm a big dick, murder demon, fire breathing, coke fiending, godless heathen, rock eater. Fucking goosebumps, homie. I am. So, like, I wrote that drunk as, as the fuck about a week before I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, just in my barracks room. Dude, I love it so I much. Too. You can find this book um, on Amazon right now. It was ranked number one in new releases for death, grief and lost poetry, which I guess is the category it would be in, although it is dropped off. Uh, you can only keep you can only keep hype going for so long. Um until you do something new and then people get up excited about it again. Um, but yeah, it's on Amazon for pre-sale. Um, when this podcast comes out, it'll still technically be pre-sale. It'll release the following day. Um, Dead Reckoning Collective, uh, the publisher, um, they have it on the website and the link from that website just takes you to Amazon. Um, I'm on Instagram at Dead Gunner Poetry. 
um, all of, if you just spell that correctly, you'll find me. Uh, Even if you just type your name in, you pop up. I figured at this point. Uh, yeah. yeah. My last name is Rodrig. It is not Rodriguez. Um, I went by Rod in the Marine Corps because that just blew a lot of people's fucking minds. Where's the Z <laughs> at the end of your name, bro? I'm like, yeah, I just walk around with fucked up name tapes all day, dude. I, I'm just a shitbag. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. I have a Patreon um, that I rarely post on because I am bad at running it, but a couple people support me on that, and that's cool. Um, and you can find me in New Orleans and catch these hands, motherfucker. Oh, I love it, dude. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time in making this work. Uh, it, your time. you you uh, Publicly, I'm going to let everybody know, <laughs> flexed, move this to Monday so that I could go run a, uh, go run a pistol range at work. Hey, so. I'm here to help. That's what I do. I try my best. That's all I ever can do. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this being in the world because this helps people like me articulate my feelings. So that's a big thank you for me. And I know it's going to be a big thank you for my listeners. And I know for a fact, they will be going to get your book. So we'll have you back on again. And we'll, you and I will go ham on a conspiracy podcast because it's only fitting that we do that. Um, otherwise, everyone else, you stick with me. Everyone else, uh, go buy the book. You know you want to. I'm going to give you some teasers if he'll allow me, I'm sure. And um, if you're very lucky, maybe he'll even sign one for you. I will see you all. Totally signed books for you, but it's going to say stuff like, if you can't bench press your body weight, put this book down. And Correct. Because we would expect nothing else from you, Mason. Amazing. Everyone else, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>